Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and our guest today is the amazing and comparable Sophia Kaderi. Sophia, how are you? I'm doing great, Christian. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to... Well, gosh, I don't know. How long has it been? Has it been since Slock that we've actually had a conversation? Probably since 2002. Yeah. It has been a very, very long time. Where in the world are you today, Sophia? Well, I am at home. (laughs) Specifically in Seattle, there's this little island called Mercer Island, which is connected to a bridge to Seattle proper. But yeah, I just moved here last July. So still getting used to uh, the lovely state of Washington. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, Seattle, Mercer Island. Seattle's one of my favorite cities. I love that place. I worked for a long time in Bothell, which is north of Kirkland. So um, I'm familiar with that area. And uh, my old boss from IBM actually was from Mercer Island. And it was a really, really beautiful setting. So I hope you like it there. I mean, it does rain a lot, but hey. Not so much. I think people say that to have less people move here. It's not that bad. We spent our first winter here and uh, it was kind of gray, but it wasn't bad. It was nice. That's good. My my fun memory of Seattle was watching people wash their cars in the rain. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little bit crazy. I don't think I've seen that. No, you haven't seen people washing cars in the rain? No. Well, Seattle's great. And uh, what took you to Seattle? So my husband, so I ha- I got married since the Olympics, and I have a little four-and-a-half-year-old, soon-to-be five-year-old little boy. And um, my husband got an offer from Amazon that he couldn't refuse. And so Disney relocated, or relocated me, I guess is a strong word, considering Disney has a presence in Seattle as well. So. It was a relatively easy move for us. You're not joining me from the office in Seattle, but you are joining me from your home, I assume? Yes, yes. We Our offices are closed. And in fact, I just recently got furloughed from Disney. So um, yeah, I'll be uh, at home for a while. Well, I hope that situation resolves. I mean, gosh, so many people are being affected by this virus that's going around. I'm in the same situation with my contracts with the International Olympic Committee and some other clients in the event space. This whole industry has just completely shut down and nothing is going on. And we're all just kind of wondering what's going to happen or when things might possibly open up. Yeah, that is such an unknown right now. And I think even for Disney, um, it's hard to say because the business got impacted in a very, very large way. So I'm not really thinking of going back because I don't think it's, uh, to be honest with you, I think I'm done with entertainment. I've been there for a while. (laughs) In fact, I've been there since I left the Olympics. So it was Warner Brothers Studios and Disney. And I think I'm over it. Well, what would you do if you don't if you decide to exit entertainment? Is there another industry or profession that's kind of tugging at your heartstrings saying, hey, come do this kind of thing for your career? Yeah, you know, I think I've always wanted to do independent consulting. So in that way, I could just go work on the gigs that I want to work on and then get out. Because the one thing I've never been able to stand is politics. And I know politics exists everywhere, but it's very, very ugly in the media entertainment world. 
And um, I'm just over it. I like to go in, do a great job and get out and just not get involved otherwise. Maybe meet some cool people, you know, in the in the project and then just leave and then have some time off for myself. Um, I did start a side business, which is uh, all natural hair care products. Um, and so I am kind of focusing on that right now, as well as homeschooling my child. <laughs> so it's busy. Hair care products. This is interesting because I always thought you had amazing hair. Yeah. Are these hair care products that you make yourself or are they hair care products that you found and then you are um, reselling? You know, so it's a bit of both. So it does take a little bit of chemistry to understand, you know, how can you get a certain shade? Like what would be the color for you, Christian? Um, and so I'd have to mix it up, but it's really based on three plants. So it's all natural. It's water activated, absolutely no chemicals, and it's permanent hair color. So I think the shift in uh, consumer behavior is going more natural, going more homeopathic and less chemicals. So I, I, I think it could be really good. I just wish I was hoping to get certain experience at Disney um, in terms of the retail and packaging side of the house, which sadly I did not get into that section of Disney. But I think that would have really helped me with my products. So if anyone out there knows how to do this stuff, please let me know later. <laughs> well, this is super interesting. I could definitely use the hair color because my hair has lost most of its color. It's, <laughs> it's mostly gray now. However, I feel like if I did that, um, the baldness would show more prominently. So I'm kind of stuck in this cat 22 situation. Do I stick with the gray and sort of hide the baldness or do I put in the color and highlight the baldness. Hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think you're being too hard on yourself, Christian. I see a lot of hair on your head. So <laughs> uh, this is a, this is pretend hair. No, actually <laughs> it looks okay from the front. The problem is the back is um, yeah, severely wanting. So as long as you can just see the front, uh, it's not too bad. Anyway, enough about hair, enough about hair. <laughs> we're here to, we're here to talk about Salt Lake 2002. So um, let's start at the beginning. How did you get to Salt Lake? How did you decide to go work for the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? What was the journey for Sophia Kaderi to Salt Lake 2002? You know, it's actually a very interesting story, which I've kind of put in the back of my mind, but it, it is kind of a journey um, where I was at a friend's house in San Diego and we were looking through her um, photo albums and came across a, a person um, who had her graduation in there and she was a recruiter, it turns out. And at that time I was doing healthcare consulting, really, really enjoyed it, um, working with the Sharp Healthcare Medical Systems in San Diego and traveling a lot, which actually I did not like that part. And then um, she said, oh, hey, Sophia, she's recruiting for the Olympics. Do you think you'd be interested? And I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. And it's back in Utah where my family is. Why not give it a try? And uh, you know, it all worked out. I started out in the finance, corporate finance group. It was um, pretty tough. And I don't know why I just remembered who my manager was at that time, but his name was Brett Hopkins. Um, he did the finance there and he just started like having me work out 
financial problems on the whiteboard. And I was like, wow, this is a tough interview. But um, yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. And that's how I got my start was in finance. That's awesome. Now, when did you actually join the organizing committee? It was pretty soon after it started because I think there was only like 80 or maybe 100 people there. It was 2000. No, it wasn't 2002. Oh my God, I don't remember. It was uh, four years. So around 1998? Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, that sounds about right because I just finished my master's. Well, Brett Hopkins, I don't know if you've kept up with him or kept in touch with him, but he's done quite well. You know, he... He left the organizing committee after the games, as we all did. And then and then he went to work for uh, GARF um, Automotive Group, uh, became their chief financial officer and then eventually the CEO. And I think he currently oh, is still yeah, the chief executive sure. officer of uh, GARF Automotive, Oh wow! which is a multi-billion dollar company. You know, so he's he's done very, very That's well. Great. So you started out in finance, but you didn't end up there. So how did you move from finance over to technology? Well, that's another story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. So while I was in finance and, you know, that's, that's what I studied for and all of that, I, w- I was getting my master's. I, I was just wrapping up in information systems. And so I always noticed that the IT people were always having a lot more fun than the finance people and having parties. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. How do I get there? <laughs> so um, at that time, I had known, oh no, Mark. What was his last name? I don't Mark know Young. That. Yes, yes, Mark Young. So um, Mark Young had worked for this company called Trizetto. He was one of the three founding partners of this healthcare company. And um, my sister was working for them at the time. So I went over there and struck up a conversation. I said, oh, hey, Mark. So my sister's working at the company that you founded. And so um, we just started, you know, uh, started talking and he asked me what I was doing. And I told him I was trying to get into IT. And um, he said that he had an opening in his group for a business analyst or a senior business analyst, I think, and that I should go interview with Natalie who ended up becoming my boss. <laughs> so that's what I did. And the story, I, and you know, and I'll admit it now, because it was kind of funny now that I look back on it. But um, when I went to go interview with Natalie, she's like, oh no, um, Sophia, you don't know how to do this job. You have absolutely no experience <laughs> whatsoever. She's like, I don't think you're going to be a good fit. So I was like, oh, okay, that's too bad. I, I'm willing to put in the work. So I went back and and then um, I think Mark had Natalie interview me again. And so I think it took a couple of tries. And then she's and I said, look, Natalie, just try me out. If I don't work out, you can let me go. (laughs) And it ended up working out. I mean, I don't think Natalie was happy about the whole thing initially. And that's how I remember it. It would be interesting to hear Natalie's story on this. But um, yeah, that's how I ended up there is persistence, I would have to say. So, Sophia, it's really interesting that you say you moved from finance to technology because you were wondering if those people had more fun than the finance people. You're not the only person that's asked themselves that question. I actually started out my career in accounting. Oh, that was what my degree was in college. And I started out as an accountant. And I also asked myself the question, well, I, I 
<laughs> I wonder if the accounting people have more fun or the other people in the other parts of the company have more fun. And a lot of that was because I felt like um, the people who I talked with from accounting, that I only talked with them if they had problems. Like payroll, for example, if the check's perfect, nobody says anything. If it's short a nickel, everybody's like freaking out because you shorted their pay. Yeah, I felt like I was just hearing from unhappy people all the time. <laughs> and at the same time, I also felt like I really like the systems aspect of these things. I, I, I enjoy the systems more than actually doing the work of accounting. And the reason I like the systems is because if I can figure out how to do the systems, then the accounting work takes less time. And the accounting work was inherently boring. So if I could make my life a little less boring, then that's the way that I want to go. And so I can attest to you that you're not the only person that had the question, yeah. well, um, do, do finance people have more fun or do other people in the company have more fun? And for me, the answer was other people. So I went, I followed the same <laughs> path that you did. So you're working for Natalie. Natalie had responsibilities over a number of applications that were provided mm -hmm. by SEMA, which was a Spanish company that was initially subcontracted by IBM. And then after IBM pulled out, they took responsibility for all of these systems. Yeah. So did you cover all of those systems or were you focused on some of the systems in this suite of applications that SEMA was providing? You know, there were quite a few. So the games management systems that I recall working closely on was the medical um, there was also the village, the Olympic village one accreditation. Uh, those are the ones that come to mind still over the, you know, right now, <laughs> but it was quite a few of those, which I was kind of happy about because it led me into working at interesting venues and not necessarily the boring ones. I don't know. Yeah, there were boring ones. I was like, wait, were there boring venues? And then I remembered curling. So yes, there were boring venues. <laughs> well, we'll try not to offend our curling friends. They're like, hey, I worked at that venue. It wasn't so bad. You know, it was okay. Yeah. That was all right. Well, implementing those technologies was not easy. It's it's weird to think about back then. I mean, the, the methodologies for implementing technology were different then than they are now. And to add on top of that, I mean, you, you were dealing with uh, clients, internal clients that maybe weren't even totally staffed up or yeah. those people didn't even understand their business requirements either. How was that trying to go through a system of implementation with, with people that didn't really understand or haven't even defined their business processes or their requirements? You know, it's kind of interesting. And I think that's that's one of the areas that I'm pretty skilled at is uh, user experience, and that carries forth today too. Is I was looking always looking at it from a user perspective, um, what makes sense in terms of usability? How, how do they get to what they need to get to? And thinking back vaguely on the systems and what the interfaces look like, it, it was pretty horrendous. Um, but the one one cool thing about the games, though, is you have a deadline, right? You can't keep on pushing out a project, and especially a lot of IT projects get pushed out um, quite a ways. But because we were locked into a date, you kind of have to make things work. So then you you through a lot of interviews and trying to figure out, you know, what's really important to you? What must you do to get your job done sufficiently? You can get to the core requirements pretty quickly and then figure out how, you know, what's the best way to navigate through the system. 
So, um, so that's kind of like the thought process. So I think coming from that finance background was really, really important into um, technology because it's that same mindset. You're like thinking about, you know, what's the bottom line? How do I get there quickly um, and most efficiently? So a lot of that work carried over or thought process. So, yeah, these immovable deadlines, you didn't think to pick up the phone and say, hello, International Olympic Committee, could we postpone the games by about six months because our accreditation system just isn't functioning? Yeah, sure. Now, I remember a lot of workarounds happening during the Olympics itself where things like the, um, uh, what were those printers, I guess, where the, the badges were all getting glued up together and you had to like figure out with the partners that were supporting those tools like Xerox and whatever, like how can we come up with a workaround, right? So we can still get a badge out. Um, so, and that's what I really, really liked about working for the Olympics, I think, is you just got stuff done. There were no like complaints and excuses of like, oh no, we have to wait for this. And that's going to be a delay of so many months. You just couldn't do it. And it's a very unique sort of environment to, uh, to work in versus like regular corporate America where you can come up with these excuses. And there are some people that are very, very skilled at dragging out um, projects or, you know, the bureaucracy of the whole thing. And that's, that's really what I cannot stand. In, um, in the way a lot of large organizations function is the red tape. It was a huge amount of work, but it wasn't all work. People had a good time, I thought, in the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. That I really enjoyed the people that I worked with, like you and Natalie and Mark and, and Alice and yeah, you know that team there in technology, as well as on the HR side. What are some of the stories of people that you used to work with, people that you remember, people that inspired you, people that entertained you? What are some of the, the favorite stories that come to mind? Oh, the parties were amazing. And I have to say between the food and ticketing guys, they knew how to throw a party. All gourmet stuff. Oh, I also remember all the, um, the different uh, countries that came in with their own chefs and getting invited to some of those parties. Oh, it was just, it was amazing. It wasn't really like, I, I didn't feel like I was really working. I mean, obviously we put in the work, but um, it was just like so much fun. It was probably one of the most fondest memories I have in my career so far um, working for a company. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a huge amount of fun, but the fun came to an end. I remember the games yeah. ended and I felt a bit depressed, you know, like, man, you just put in uh, however many years of your career. For me, it was just two, but for you, it was like four years. Yeah. And it culminates in a massive celebration and then it's over. Did Did you feel a little like, oh man, down in the dumps after it was over or were you ready to head on to the next challenge? You know, it's kind of hard to say because... I was first a little bit annoyed I didn't stay through the Paralympics, right? Because did you stay through the Paralympics or did you leave after the Olympics? I did. I did stay okay. through the Paralympic Games, but um, it was really only because 
the Salt Lake Organizing Committee needed to run certain reports post games. And because I understood all the workforce systems, they needed me around to basically run the reports after all of the games, including the Paralympic games were over. Oh, I see. Well, this is what I heard from people that stayed through the Paralympics. So I had to leave right after the Olympics were over um, because I took a position at Warner Brothers Studios and they were relocating me to California. And uh, and we'll come back to that, Christian, but that was all thanks to you <laughs> and giving up your spot with Warner Brothers. So that's how I got there. But the point is, when I ended up leaving the Olympics, I was immediately put into another sort of environment that was pretty exciting, pretty cool. It's not like I went into some boring job that I can't think of right now, but just like some regular company. Um, so it was pretty exciting. So I didn't really think through, you know, I, I definitely thought of the Olympics and how sad it was to like say goodbye to a lot of people that weren't, that were going to move to the new games in Turin. Um, but I think I was even more sad about the fact that I lost out on getting paid on a year's salary without having to work. And I didn't know about that. So, um, yeah, I guess a lot of people that worked the Paralympics were bankrolled for another year till the funds ran out. So that was a nice, a nice perk, if you will. Wow. I, I didn't know about a year. I know that I got a little retention bonus, but I think mine was relatively small because I hadn't been there that long. I think seniority uh, yeah. or your tenure there, uh, it, that played a role into the size of the, of the bonus. I totally forgot about the whole Warner Brothers thing oh, yeah. until you just mentioned it. I can't, I, I'm trying to even pull that out of my memory bank. So I decided that I couldn't go and I, I'm sure it was because uh, my family didn't want to relocate. You know, yeah. we wanted to stay in Salt Lake. What was it that you ended up uh, joining Warner Brothers to do? Yeah, so it was interesting. It was for a senior business analyst role in their um, technology group within studios. So um, I went in and it was, it, was, it was kind of a chaotic start. So I had to take a taxi from LAX. And I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but um, we got into an accident on the 405 freeway. And I was like trying to prep for the interview. So I slammed right into the taxi cage that separates, you know, the passenger from the driver. Wow. Um, yeah, it was not the best start. I somehow shaken up, got to the studios and went in and met with the vice president at the time. Really, really nice lady. She could have been John Travolta's sister, like identical looking. And um, well, I had... On, I got to stop there because uh -huh. John Travolta's sister, are we talking about the younger John Travolta yeah. Are we talking about the older John Travolta or are we talking about the John Travolta in Hairspray? I don't think I saw that one, but no, no, no. It was definitely the younger John Travolta with the striking eyes, blue eyes and black hair or dark hair. She had, she was a brunette and um, really, really nice lady. But I told her my story and she's like, oh no, we know we like you anyway. So you don't have to worry about the interview process. Like, 
it was not even interviewing me at all. She was like, Oh no, let me show you around. I was like, this is the strangest interview, but I figured, Oh, media entertainment, you know, they, they do things a different way. So I went through like six different interviews at the time. And there was only one person who actually interviewed me. And that was, (laughs) that was another business analyst. And I was like, wow, everyone else was like, Oh yeah, you'll get along. It was all about, can you get along with everyone else? And do you fit the dynamics and the look of the group? Um, very, very kind of superficial, very Hollywoody, but it's what you expect. So, you know, to this day, of course I'm in this space still, but people ask, you know, what do you do or what did you, I worked on the game. Oh, that's cool. The Olympic games. That's so cool. Um, did you get that from coworkers or people that you talked to? Like, oh, you worked on the Salt Lake 2002 games. How was that? That was so cool. You know, a little bit. Yeah. Especially the ones that were hardcore, like um, uh, sports fanatics, like they were more into the winter sports and stuff. Yeah. They thought it was pretty cool and um, definitely shared a lot of stories and some of the, you know, memorabilia from the games and stuff. I think I had the torch, like, um, got the option of purchasing the torch that was used. And so I did, I did have it. I should say I did have it. I have no clue where it is now or if it's gone. (laughs) It was in my parents' basement. I don't know where it is. Well, maybe they still have it. I don't know. Maybe. It would be a shame to lose that because it was such an amazing torch. I thought I really liked the design of that torch. yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. That's why I felt like I had to have one as a memento. But yeah, it's just, I mean, even today, like when I say, oh yeah, because you know, the Olympics is going to fall off your resume. (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) And so I'll bring it up to people and they're like, wow, that's so cool. How was it? And I always tell people, you just get stuff done. I wish we had that mantra in the companies that I work for, but no. Yeah, it was amazing. Sophia, I appreciate you taking so much time to share your memories of the games. If you remember, I I gave you some assignments at the beginning and I give everybody these assignments and we kind of use this to kind of cap things off. The first assignment was for a song. Is there a song or songs, because you can nominate more than one, is there a song that whenever you hear it today, it just immediately takes you right back to Salt Lake 2002? You get these flashbacks like, oh, yeah, I remember I I listen to this song all the time. I'd have to say, and it's been a while since I've heard these guys play, but I was listening to them for a while was the Bare Naked Ladies. And it's really any of their songs. (laughs) It kind of hits something. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally remember it. Because it's just the vibe that was happening at the Olympics, you know, just totally suits the music. Absolutely. Several people have actually mentioned the Bare Naked Ladies. And they came and performed, if you recall, they performed at the games there in Metals Plaza. And I saw them and several other people that I've interviewed so far have also seen or also saw them, I should say. And and yeah, they were great fun. And it definitely takes you back to that time. So I will pick a song if you don't have a song. Wait, wait, wait. I do have a song. Do you have a song? Yep. If I had a million dollars. All right. If I had a million (laughs) dollars, that'll go on the list. Yeah. Actually, I think another person has already said that, but that's okay. People can repeat the song, so it's not a problem. So thank you very much for sharing the song. The next question that I had for everyone was for food. 
And is there a particular restaurant or place that you'd like to go when you lived and worked in Salt Lake? Okay. I have like four places. Oh, (laughs) bring them on. Okay. I don't know the name of this place in particular, but it was in the Trolley Square um, parking lot. It was the Wings place. It was just like one of the little trolley carts where they served wings and beer. That place was super yummy. I remember meeting a lot of people at that one. Um, the other one that I loved was Kristoff's, which was more downtown. Um, what else was there? Oyster Bar um, and Tokyo Boys. Those are the ones that come to mind. All right. I don't know if any or all of those are still around, but I'll okay. look for them. On my website, I've got a little map. So I'm putting all the different restaurants that people have nominated on the map. And some of them are no longer there, uh, but some are still around. So if they're still around, I'll definitely throw them on the map. Oh, I have to say Christoph's changed to Three Sisters the last time I was there. Three Sisters. Okay. Well, I'll mm-hmm. definitely look that one up. Same location. And my final question for you, as you take an inventory of all the Olympic memories, is there one in particular that really stands out that you just felt it was totally inspiring or was just kind of a goosebump moment? Anytime you think about it, it just, it just uh, warms your heart to think about those games. You know, I would have to say it was, um, there's a couple, but I'll, I'll leave it to one. Well, you can choose two if you want, you know, it's my podcast. I can make the rules. So if I want to say two, it shall be two. Yeah. No, there was one time where a group of us and I met some really, really cool people that were also from um, far ways away, like Germany and um, Barcelona and whatnot. But we decided to take a ski trip up to Deer Valley. And I think we all had passes so we could go for free. Well, I wasn't the best skier at all. But they were so, so helpful, (laughs) making sure I got down okay. And these guys were all expert skiers. So that was super fun. I still have pictures from me trying to navigate skis at the time. Um, The other time that was really a lot of fun was a group of us from um, the technology group, women. I think there were 20 of us that went on this trip to southern Utah, to Moab. And we camped out there. Well, camped in a hotel room (laughs) but um it just it was just so amazing i i did you say alice alice mahmoud was was there natalie um gosh there were a bunch of other people um that i can picture their faces but not lourdes corn comes to mind just like a bunch of people that went but they were all women um, and it was an all women's group and that was so much fun. I mean, I think we only did it once and that was it, but that was, that was a good time. Sophia, I appreciate you very much again, coming on and sharing your memories. I'm sure there are many more, but, uh, if people want to reconnect with you on social media or other ways, how best might they contact you? Yeah, I try to stay at a very low presence on social media, but I am on Instagram now. Just recently got on there. Um, I am on Facebook, but not very active <laughs> at all. I think I'm on there just to see what others are doing, but you know, didn't want to share too much information given what Facebook did a little while ago. Catch the catch the movie on Netflix. I think it was Cambridge Analytica. But anyway. 
Instagram's probably the best. All right. Instagram. It or is. LinkedIn. I, I'm sorry. LinkedIn too. Yeah. Oh, yep. LinkedIn. Yeah. And I think that's how I reached out to you. It's on LinkedIn yeah. because I don't do the social media thing either. And so I reached out to some people on LinkedIn. And so thank you very much for responding and agreeing to do yeah. this. I don't do the Facebook thing, but I have started beginning last week just for the slot podcast. So I'm not putting anything else out there, but uh, people can also reach that on Facebook. And again, once, uh, once more, Sophia, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great to see you. And I wish you all the best in your future as an independent consultant. It's a challenging work. I, I'm there myself doing this thing, always having to find clients. But at the same time, it is tremendously freeing and rewarding also. So I wish you the very best in, in those endeavors and enjoy your time there in Mercer Island. Thank you so much, Christian. I really appreciate you reaching out. This was this was really fun to do. <laughs> and it was well, I'm really glad it was fun for me too. And listeners, uh, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Well, thanks so much, Christian. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>